Hello and welcome to this podcast about the poem As Imperceptibly as Grief, written by the renowned and prolific American author Emily Dickinson. I'll start the podcast with a quick reading of the poem, just to jog our memories of the words and images of the poem itself. Then I'll move on to discuss Dickinson's context, followed by a little bit about structure and language. Obviously, my comments and observations about as imperceptibly as grief aren't exhaustive, but they might provide you with a starting point for your own revision and revisiting of the poem. As Imperceptibly as Grief by Emily Dickinson. As imperceptibly as grief, the summer lapsed away, too imperceptible at last, to seem like perfidy. A quietness distilled as twilight long begun, or nature spending with herself sequestered afternoon. The dust drew earlier in, the morning foreign shone, a courteous yet harrowing grace, as guest who would be gone, and thus without a wing or service of a keel, our summer made her light escape into the beautiful. Born way back in 1830, Dickinson lived her entire life in Amherst, Massachusetts. Now, someone who definitely wouldn't struggle with the idea of quarantine and social distancing is Dickinson herself. As I'm sure you know, she was famously quite a solitary and distant figure and spent most of her life living in complete solitude as a recluse. In an era with no Netflix, no Amazon and certainly no TikTok to keep herself busy and entertained, Dickinson turned to writing poetry in quite a big way. She wrote almost 1,800 poems in her lifetime, a colossal amount by anyone's standards. Significantly, most of her poetry was kept under wraps. Only 10 were published when she was alive. The majority were published posthumously, which means after she died. Most of her comments about publication of writing tends to be negative, and she even commented that publication is the auction of the mind. Personally, I think this perhaps reveals to us just how private Dickinson was, and maybe even how intimate writing poetry was for her. Perhaps it was her creative outlet, a way for her to deal with and process the world around her. Dickinson's neighbours and community considered her to be an eccentric, which is basically someone who's a little odd and unusual, someone who doesn't fit society's usual expectations. She developed a bit of an obsession for white clothing, apparently, which she wore as often as possible and became widely known for her reluctance to greet guests or, later in life, to even leave her bedroom. That last part is probably something our Xbox-loving generation can understand completely, but Dickinson's peers weren't so sympathetic. Furthermore, Dickinson never married. Obviously not a big deal nowadays, but it was more or less expected for a woman of her status in the 1800s. Most of her friendships between herself and others depended entirely upon correspondence, where Dickinson and her friends would send letters back and forth. Lots of Dickinson's poems reflect her early and lifelong fascination with illness, the process of dying and death itself. All very cheerful, I know. As imperceptibly as grief is a perfect example of a preoccupation with the idea of an oncoming darkness and the end of what brief happiness life can bring. The form of the poem can be interpreted as a melancholic elegy, which is a type of poem that usually laments the dead. Dickinson subverts common light and dark metaphors and instead uses summer as a metaphor for grief and depression and the passing of time and by implication the loss of loved ones. 
The poem itself also deals with issues surrounding the fear of death, something I'm sure which you can all empathise with, and the feeling that the narrator has almost been tricked by the subtle passing of time. Significantly, the word perfidy means being deceitful and untrustworthy, which perhaps links to the narrator's distrust of time, as it seems to pass by imperceptibly and almost without notice. Dickinson may have used the season of summer to capture feelings of happiness and optimism, but she perhaps describes that as fading to illustrate how contentment can be such a fleeting emotion. It may also be worth noting that just six months before writing his poem, Dickinson's mother passed away. So it could be interpreted that nature and summer have been personified as being female, as Dickinson tries to attempt to reconcile this tragic loss by likening her mother's death to the cyclical nature of life. The images of the birds without a wing and the boat without the service of a keel, which is what keeps it upright, may suggest the uncertainty of our existence and the delicate balance that is at play between life and death. Now, when it comes to structure, remember that examiners aren't interested in how many lines or stanzas are in the poem, except perhaps a sonnet, which is probably a relief for people like me who are absolutely rubbish at maths. The examiners are more intent on you being able to discuss the development of the poem and identifying where the turning point of the piece might be. This could be where the tone changes, maybe the poet starts to use varied language or imagery, or perhaps even another voice. Anything really to signify a change. Dickinson uses a series of dashes in as imperceptibly as grief, a real signature of her writing. This could be to create a hesitant, almost tentative pace to the poem, which would link to the poet's reflective nature and also the sensitive and contemplative aspects of her personality. The dash can create a disjointed feel too, which may be an indication of her own fractured state of mind as she tries to grapple with these existential questions about life and death, which none of us really have any answers for. Another interpretation of the dash could actually be that it speeds up the reader, propelling them through the poem, which could link to how powerless Dickinson may have felt about the passage of time and the issues that it would inevitably create. The final lines of the poem do reflect the turning point and the tone transforms into one which is more hopeful um, than the previous ones, despite those explorations of loss earlier in the poem. Even though grief can overwhelm the joy of life and the happiness created with loved ones, there's always hope, something positive, which can transcend sorrow, which is indeed a beautiful thought for us to finish on. Thank you for listening. I do hope my comments have been of some benefit to you.